Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. Uh, many of you know I'm uh, going to be doing um, a bit of discussion with CSOs around the community on protective intelligence. And most importantly, forget the term for a second. What are we doing these days uh, to widen the aperture of our organizational EMT and the silos of excellence in all the professional disciplines to get in front of the threat and to uh, have better situational awareness and actionable response in our programs. And, and I've sent a number of questions out to a number of people, but I wanted to get my good friend and somebody I've been talking to for, I think, 20 years, um, Brian Tuscan, a senior executive risk leader and also founder and host of COP to Corporate. Thank you, Brian, for joining the great conversation. Well, thanks, Ron. Uh, glad to be on your podcast. Absolutely. As uh, now, I'm not a I'm not a cop, so I'll never be on your podcast. <laughs> you never know. We might need some sage advice. I, oh, I have a diverse palette of people that come on the 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 podcast. Well, I turned a lot of law enforcement people on to you. I tell you the truth, and I reference you all the time when I run across. Uh, those uh, those those law enforcement uh, professionals who are trying to make the transition to corporate. So I know I know you're well followed in that area, uh, Brian. Let's just start off with this idea, this term, um, and everyone knows my conversations are unscripted, uh, so this could go anywhere. But the term protective intelligence, what does it mean to you? I guess it is dependent on what audience is looking at the intelligence. Is it aligned to a cyber focus, protective intelligence? So you're, you're looking at it logically or is it physical? And so my expertise aligns to the, the physical realm. So when you look at protective intelligence, it's everything around protecting uh, a principle Usually it's an executive, or it could be a high-profile client. And the, whatever context I give in this podcast is really related to the physical nature of the protective intelligence. However, the logical and physical go hand in hand, as you know, nowadays. It, it, it's so prevalent, especially if you look at security, safety within a home office outside of the corporate office, right? Uh, you have physical vulnerabilities and threats and logical vulnerabilities and threats. How do you work together to ensure you have the best approach and plan to address those threats and mitigate them? That, that's what I look at, look at the industry uh, through other security executives and practitioners on how do you harden targets on, on the physical side, which is my expertise, but also logically. One of the things uh, when we're talking about protective, some people replace it with the word proactive. With all the digital data out there in the public domain, and of course the kind of data you can pick up uh, regarding your own employees, uh, do you see technology now enabling maybe the uh, digestion that is the collection of that kind of information 
the management of that information and the communication of that information to disparate groups within within the company, not just you know you, but also you know legal, HR, corporate. Do you see security becoming a team sport now with the ability to collect that kind of data? Absolutely, and I it's highly dependent on the maturity of the organization and company. And sometimes a company can be old, very old, but their security department is, is immature. It's, it's at the beginning stages. I've met security leaders that are new to a company where you would think a multinational billion dollar company would have a huge security footprint and focus and they don't, they're just starting. So to answer your question from a maturity perspective, the more mature an organization is, they approach it holistically from, from risk, safety, security, almost from a task force approach. If you think about it, from a government perspective, where my background and experiences in law enforcement, where you would combine efforts of multi-jurisdictional, whether it's federal, state, local, coming together and including private sector to solve problems in a crisis. No different in a big company where you have multiple divisions or organizations coming together and with, with a, a collective agenda to protect, keep the company assets and people safe. And so I, I think the more the mature, the more mature the company is, the easier it is to work together as a team. But what I'm seeing in the industry and the more newer security organizations or companies, security, physical security usually gets, everything's dumped on them from, from risk to crisis management to business continuity, you name it, everything's dumped into this security world. And then as the group matures, as the company matures, they start bringing in subject matter experts for example, if you have pandemic planning, that really shouldn't be a security function. That should be somewhere in HR where you have uh, medical experts that work with the CDC directly, but I see a lot of security professionals wearing that hat. So it, the, the question is really hard to give you a definitive answer and it's dependent on the maturity of the company. So from tools and technology, I think if there are easy tools that are SaaS based, that could get you information where you're not touching your corporate services or uh, servers that could get you information quickly to help you act and make a decision because there's a lot of information out there. It's open source intelligence, there, there's news, there's paid services you could use. How do you boil it down so it can be actionable? Yeah, I would just think that's so difficult. And whether it's immature or mature organization, again, um, if it is a team sport, the information is coming in. Where is it coming in from? Who's going to see it first? How, how does it get communicated to the right people at the right time? How do you avoid privacy issues and legal concerns and regulations related to the data? So I'm just fascinated how with, it's almost like the technology's outpaced our organizational ability to digest it. Am I right? That's a great question. There's just a lot of information, right? And how do you decipher the sources that 
you're getting the information from and it, are they reliable sources? Because there, there are just a lot of source material out there. I could tell you a lot more people are looking towards social media as sources because if some, somebody's on the ground and something's happening and you're, you're tracking uh, social media posts and there's a myriad of uh, social media applications that you can track and could give you a good idea, something's happening in this particular geographical area. There, there's a high likelihood that whatever they say is happening is happening, whether it's an active shooter or weather related event, you literally have boots on the ground that are validating what they say is happening. Couple that with open source information, news, news agencies, government agencies to validate, revalidate what it is and getting it out as quickly as possible to decision makers, usually from a life safety perspective, that's gonna be security managers to make a decision. A decision, if it's weather related, do you tell people to evacuate or to stay home? Don't come into the office, do you close an office? There, there are many variables, but the better the information that you have and the likelihood of it happening just through vetting sourcing gets you closer to that one version of the truth when you make a decision. Yeah, and truth, when it comes down to it, in this day and age, truth can be elusive uh, depending on the information. So like you said, you were talking about cross-validation from boots on the ground to government to OSINT. Uh, so having enough information where that correlation can take place and a lot of eyes can be on it uh, to make the team decision, it will require to protect your people and assets. The, it, it seems to me if we are going to employ technology like that and we are going to be able to digest it near real time, we have the right in-house communication capabilities to make those kind of decisions, I would think we're starting to add to the corporate value of security aren't we? Are we starting to have more data now to make security actually an integral part of the organization's business? Well, absolutely. I think the life safety and security of the employees, the guests, the contractors that work there, the visitors, uh, that, that clients that, that come in, you, you have a requirement to keep people safe, right? And security has always been an integral part of that. I think the fundamental changes as we move forward with technology and the vast amounts of technology and information is how quickly you can get information and find the ever elusive predictive analysis to prevent something from happening. And, and I'll tell you what, what that's going to be, if we ever get there, is going to be based off of machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning, where you take all of these data sources that millions, billions of points and making sense of it. And an analyst is not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning to train it based off of variables of, of data sets for it to spit out something to say there's a high probability of X happening or there's a high probability that this will likely happen 
uh, evacuate or prevent, uh, prepare for this particular incident. And I think it's, it's so nascent right now because artificial intelligence is such a new, uh, it's not really that new. I think it was first coined back in the 50s at Dartmouth College, artificial intelligence, the first term. And, uh, but back in 1965, the uh, Siemens 4000, I think it was on the movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where it spit. It was the first time as a kid, I was, I think I was seven years old when I watched the movie, where I saw artificial intelligence, where the guy was asking the machine, where's the box of chocolates? And the machine said, well, I know where it's at, but I'm not going to tell you because that would be cheating. And it showed artificial intelligence had ethics, right? So you have ethical AI, which uh, is, is important too, just because you can do it, should you do it? So you, you throw all those variables in, I, I do believe to circle back to your original question of the value of security uh, embedded within a business or company or organization, it, it is invaluable. So if I come to you one day with an AI intelligence uh, uh, package and call it Willy Wonka. I, I just got you from get-go, don't I? I just have. Well, it, it's a great movie, uh, childhood, childhood movies, but I think it's already branded. I just love it. I just love it. That's awesome. Um, one of the things there's, uh, I'm going to throw out three terms and, you know, and I'm having some fun here. Three terms, security, physical security, business cotton, continuity, uh, brand reputation. Are those three things correlated in most organizations that you talk to a lot of CSOs out there across the community? You belong to uh, ISMA and, and, uh, and, and many other things too. Are you seeing those as silos right now or are they all being integrated into under one umbrella? Well, go back to my original statement. It's the maturity of the organization. And so there, there are companies where they are separate independent groups. They run independent uh, of themselves independently and just do their own thing. Yeah. Uh, I think currently what you see today is more of a hybrid where you have separate groups managing the functions, but they work together in, in, in concert to achieve uh, the ultimate goal of, of protection. So if you have BCP or business continuity planning or management, that's one group. It could be an entirely different organization. You could have the security group, which could include cyber and, and customer security. And then you can have the physical security side, all different organizations, but working together. I see that more common, especially in mature organizations. And, and then you'll have the less mature organization where all of that fall within security. Because I, I know some directors of security and CSOs, they're like, I own everything. I own BCP. I own uh, enterprise risk. I, I own uh, physical security. I'm trying to grab cyber in my remit. And I'm just like, hey, good for you. God bless you. Uh, it, it's, there, there's no model that is written in stone that works. I'm just saying is the more mature the organization gets, it, it doesn't matter where the function sits, as long as you have a good framework to partner and collaborate and execute and get stuff done. And, and that's such great wisdom at work right there. You may be highly matrix and collaborative. You may have it all under one umbrella with a formal process. The bottom line is, are you doing it? And, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, the impact on, its pe on, on, on your assets and your people. 
great wisdom at work. Brian, right now, what's front of mind for you and some of the peers you're talking about, uh, talking with these days, what's front of mind these days for, for CSOs like you? I think number one is what's a post-COVID world look like? What does the new normal look like? Going back into a brick and mortar environment, because that, when the pandemic hit two years ago, there, there, was a, there was talk of, well, you don't need any offices, right? There are some companies, big companies out there that divested in tons of real estate. There are big companies out there that invested and speculated in, in certain real estate uh, that didn't work out, especially in the uh, residential areas. And because it was, it was an unknown time. Now, how does this fit to physical security? Well, you have this term of hybrid workplace where you have people that have an expectation that I'm going to have an office or I'm going to have a fixed space to go to, but I also want the availability to work remotely either from home, either from a different city, state, country. That brings in tons of challenges because of safety and security in a location that you're working with that we as security professionals, if you work for a company, you don't have control over someone's home. You don't have control over the hotel that they're staying at or the family's residence that they're at. And so it's, it's such a different environment, but it's also exciting because the positive byproduct of the most horrible pandemic that I've had in my lifetime was the realization that the entire planet Earth and everyone had to realize that it is possible to work remotely. Everybody work remotely and effectively because the technology resides today. So with that, it creates opportunities for people that would never have thought of working remotely because it would just be frowned upon. It was always the exception, not the rule. A great example, working mothers. A lot of, lot of working mothers that I know decide, hey, I, I don't want to work because I don't want to drive in and be, be at work. Now, now you have the option. You have the option to work from home. So I think that's beautiful. But from a physical life safety perspective, how do we ensure the environment is safe, it's protected, protected from insider threats, uh, travel, travel safety and security. If you're going to other locations, how do you ensure that wherever you're going to, you can get back into, if, if it's outside of the US, right? If there are vulnerabilities there. So I think that that's gonna be uh, an important new normal for security professionals. So top of mind, that's for me, top of mind. Yeah. All the other risks that you have out there that it's bubbling up today. You see, you just watch the mainstream media. It, COVID is still there, but there's, there's all the uh, geopolitical risks and, and dynamics that are, that are going out. Uh, we're, we're continually to plan and prepare for that. You know, it is fascinating though, isn't it? Um, at first, when we went to work from home, everyone focused on the cyber. How, how do I make sure that they've got the right modem in the home and that's a protected uh, and, and all these other things. And I was thinking to myself, the insider threat, I, I, I can't monitor their mental health. I can't monitor who's looking at their data while they're in their home office. All these things come to mind. What about, what about violence? 
workplace violence now that you, you're going through trauma in the home, if you will, because of the work, workplace stress from the home. And it just must be a, a tremendous dilemma for yourself, your chief legal officer and others thinking through that threat. And what are we going to do about it? And there's not a lot of case law on it right now either. Right. I, I honestly believe to have something broadly adopted, it, it's going to have to come from a government legal perspective, right? There's going to be some sort of mandates or re regulation that outlines expectations, which makes it easier because if it, it would be like GDPR, right? When they rolled out GDPR, it's really focused for the EU, but a lot of companies just adopted it globally, right? As, as a standard. So there could be a take on that for physical requirements, uh, duty of care for, for taking care of employees. But I, I look at it more as a policy government regulatory right. level, uh, you, you can make suggestions, best practices before someone enacts stuff like that. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is being a good corporate citizen. If they say, you know, don't have certain type of devices where you're working or you, know, you need to protect uh, your screen. If, if, but it's hard. There are people that, that live in studio apartments. They have roommates working for competitors, right? How do you, how do you determine all of that? It, it's, it's a whole wonderful uh, new frontier that uh, security professionals has to, ha have to plan for. And the next generation, right? Because I'm, I'm a little older in the tooth. But as, as, as we move forward, I think there's going to be a whole different way of looking at life safety, physical security, uh, and, and the logical cyber side. Well, time is our greatest wealth. And you taught me 20 years ago, working off a workplace productivity platform, which I'll remain agnostic on today. But you, you were applying those leadership lessons in productivity uh, using platform technology back then. And, and you get to now live it again in this next generation of workplace productivity tools where you and I are sharing a, a screen right now. You're right across the desk from me in my home and you and I can be anywhere in the world. So it must be very exciting for you because you've been doing this now for 20 years. Oh, it's very gratifying to see technology always evolve, but the acceptance. So it's more of a culturally acceptance from a business perspective to accept it's okay to do a video call. It's okay to share things remotely on your screen. In fact, that's that's the way you've been doing it for two years. And what you're going to see is you're going to see savings on travel. I, I believe you're going to see savings uh, from, from a carbon footprint perspective because you have options to do a in-person virtual uh, podcast like we're doing right now, right? I didn't, I didn't have to drive anywhere, um, or, nor did you. And so I, I think the future looks bright in, in our industry. It really does. And, uh, and I, I'm just so happy that you and I can maintain a connection like this in these times. And also that you're challenging yourself as you always do to be a better leader and to challenge others as well. Brian, this has been a, a great conversation. Very much appreciate it. Thank you, Ron.